0: Well, if you want to open up your outlines there, you'll get a bit of a a picture of where we're going. It's a great opportunity to uh, write notes so that you don't get bored, um, but also to keep our minds on track. And tonight, as we celebrate Easter, there are four things that I want to bring to our attention. Uh, Three facts and one implication of those facts. But it struck me this week as I was thinking over the passage and, and thinking about what God was saying to us in his word here through Paul, that if we're honest... We don't often care about facts. Facts are those things that get thrown at us that we kind of go, oh yeah, that's true, so what? If you're anything like me, I I don't love facts all the time. Uh, People tell me stuff, I forget them. Uh, It actually reminded me of a conversation I was having this week. Uh, I was chatting with someone and when I wrote this sermon, I couldn't remember who it actually was I was talking with, but I was having this conversation about motorcycles And up came the topic of conversation, being motorcycles. I love bikes. I grew up riding bikes since I was four. I could talk for hours about motorbikes. And um, we're in this conversation, and chatting away, and this person then asked a follow-up question. And I'm kind of continuing on, talking about the, the facts of bikes and how I love them and what's happening. And it kind of struck me at that moment that they probably didn't care what I was talking about. They were just being polite and asking me you know, uh, one more question, and I kept on going. And I seriously, I was so enthralled in the conversation that I had no idea who I was even talking to. Uh, and so this morning, I said at a morning congregation, look, if that was you, I'm very sorry. Um, but I found out that it wasn't many of you. It was actually my wife, Sarah. <laughs> and she told me this afternoon that it was a conversation we had with another couple from morning church that we were going through stuff together. I'm like, oh, that's right i totally forgot about it because i got so caught up in the facts of what was happening and if i'm honest as we come to the claims of scripture and around the person of jesus we're often presented with facts particularly on the day that we celebrate jesus resurrection and we're presented with facts and it can feel like as we come to these these days that we celebrate at easter well a little bit like we've heard it all before is that you tonight have you come because someone invited you and it's, you, know, you come to church at Christmas and Easter and so you, you're thinking through, well, this guy is going to get up the front most probably and tell us about the fact that he thinks Jesus rose from the dead. Is that what you're expecting? Or are you here as someone who's been following Jesus for a while and just a little bit tired? You kind of get used to the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. It's lost its shine and you kind of sit here going, so what? Or maybe you're the type of person that just loves facts. You're like a fact nerd, right? And when it comes to stuff around Christianity, you love the debate. You're like, I want 24 kind of irrefutable laws of the resurrection of Jesus so I can show all my friends how I can be so convinced Jesus rose from the dead. And you kind of get off on that stuff. You're excited about that stuff and you're like, bring it on. But perhaps it just stays a little bit cerebral for you. It hangs around in your head and never actually impacts us. Now, if I'm honest, there's a little bit of that last person in me. I do love to look at the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. I'd love to give you a list tonight of all the reasonable and rational kind of reasons that give us certainty that Jesus rose from the dead. I, I could do that. There are plenty of them. In fact, if you were to weigh up the kind of evidence in history for Jesus' resurrection versus the evidence that exists that he didn't rise from the dead, I think the fact that he's re- he rose from the dead, there's actually more evidence for that. But the question that floats around our heads is this. So what? What difference does the resurrection of Jesus make in my life? What difference does it make for my marriage, for my family, for my work, for my career, for my my studies, for the way I think about what I do next week? It's all very well to have these facts, but so what? What do they mean for us? Now, I want to encourage you that if you want to check out the facts of the resurrection, there are some great books in our bookstore to have a look at that. Come and have a chat later. But tonight, it's not the mere facts of the resurrection I want us to take notice of, but it's their significance for you and me. See, there's a huge difference between facts and facts that are significant for us. Let me show you what I mean. Imagine you turned on the news tonight and over the news you heard um, the kind of sad news that there'd been a road toll these Easter holidays, that people had died on their holidays traveling to their different destinations as they do each year. They're true facts. You might feel sad about that. But imagine for a moment a different type of way of hearing that news. Imagine for a moment that you heard your phone call. You picked up your phone And then at the other end of the phone, you you heard those dreaded words that you never, ever want to hear. There's been an accident. Your father's in hospital. You need to come quickly. Suddenly, those facts of an Easter road toll got very, very personal. They sent a shiver down our spine and made us think through wow, these facts have got something to do with me. What's my hope tonight? that every one of us will walk away, not with news that's crushing, but with breathtakingly wonderful news about the resurrection of Jesus and its phenomenal significance for you and me. It's my hope and prayer tonight that as we look over these facts that are in the passage, that we might wake up like being revived from our sleep from an awful dream to recognize the significance of the resurrection of Jesus for the way I live tomorrow. So come with me and have a look at three facts and one implication of the resurrection of Jesus and hopefully we will see their significance for us. Number one, Jesus died our death. Jesus died our death. Romans 6 verse 3. Are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death. What Paul is saying to us tonight is that not, not only did Jesus face death for us, not only did he become human and die as a human, God the Son became human and died in our place, he actually underwent your death. And mine. And I'll be quick on this point because Locken did a great job of explaining this on, on Good Friday. So check out that sermon on our website if you're keen. But what Paul is saying here is that if we trust in Jesus, and that's what baptism here is symbolizing, and that we are immersed in Christ. If, if we've put our life in his hands, if we trust that he is God the Son and that he's died in our place, Paul says that his death was your death. Imagine for a moment, you're about to go through some terrible ordeal. I don't know. Imagine you're about to go to the dentist. Sorry if any of you are dentists. There's just something horrible about the dentist. There's something about that noise of that drill, that... You're just like, ah, I hate it. Imagine you're sitting there and you're like, I'm freaking out about going to the dentist. I don't really want to go to the dentist. I know it's kind of something that I've got to do. And then you bump into someone who's been and had root canal therapy before. You start chatting to them and they know what it's like they've got through they're still alive they've got a nice smile they haven't kind of freaked out you're like there's something really nice about chatting to someone who's been through what we're about to go through but imagine for a moment that that person you were talking to said you know what why don't i go and get the root canal therapy for you how much better is that how much more you like if that were possible that would be brilliant what would you prefer? Someone who'd been through something similar or someone who could go through the ordeal on your behalf? I'm going to take option two. Jesus didn't just face death and so be able to sympathize with us, but he went through it for us. He died your death. It was not some random event that happened far off, unrelated to us that we might hear about in the news. It was the phone call where Jesus died for us in our place. Not just so he could sympathize with us. He experienced the judgment of God for us turning our backs on him. That's why we deserve to die, because we've said to the God who gives life, I don't think you're actually God. I don't think I need you. I've not treated you as God. And so. Eventually, God will say to us, okay, death is the right penalty for those who reject life. We deserve death and the judgment of God. But here, Jesus claims to have died for us in our place. He died our death. So complete and exhaustive was that death in our place that Paul can say that if you trust in Jesus, you've already been buried. The funeral's already happened. You've been lowered into the ground. You've been covered up with dirt. They've erected a gravestone. Death has been done. It's been exhausted. Your death. Jesus, not just another road toll figure on the news, but a phone call to us today to say his death was our death. He died in our place. When it came to Jesus' cause of death, God's post-mortem report on, on the body of Jesus does not read death by crucifixion as the cause of death, although that's true. Nor does it say uh, he claimed to be the king of the Jews or claimed to be God himself, although both those are true as well. The report actually reads, cause of death, dot, dot. Your first name, your second name. Cause of death, Rowan Hillsden's rejection of God. That's a very personal reality, isn't it? He died for us. It was real. Now, Paul's not telling us at this point to kind of guilt us into realizing what we've done. It's not like, do you realize that your rebellion of God caused Jesus to have to come and die in your place? Although that's true. But he's not trying to guilt us into anything. Here, he's telling us that the same way a doctor tells a patient who's been waiting for an organ transplant for a long time that an organ donor has just died and donated all their working organs to you. It's that moment of, wow, at great cost, I can now have life. Except with this one, Jesus' organ replacement isn't just an organ, it's life itself. He's consumed death for us and will never die again. Death no longer needs to be worried about if Jesus has died it for us. The judgment that we deserve, death, has been paid in full. Your judgment and mine. Well, not only did Jesus die our death, but Paul tells us point number two, that Jesus rose from the dead. He really rose from the dead. Look at verse four of chapter six just as Christ was raised from the dead. The claim of Paul, a guy who was a Jew, who hated Christians, who persecuted Christians, who had everything to lose from joining them, is he became convinced that Jesus did rise from the dead in the very time that it happened. It wasn't just a resuscitation either, not like Lazarus that Jesus had brought back from the dead, who'd been in the tomb for a while, four days, and then came out and lived for a while, then died again. This was not resuscitation but resurrection, to life that would never die again. It was a conquering of death itself. Look at verse 9 of Romans 6. Paul says, because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, will not die again. Death no longer rules over him. Death has been defeated. That great foe that shortens life, that great foe that kind of empties life of its meaning Shakespeare in his play with Macbeth says this famously it's on the screen life's but a walking shadow a poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard no more it's a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing why is life so empty because death Empties it of its significance. But the resurrection of Jesus means that death itself has been conquered. Life suddenly has significance, and not just any life, our life, your life, and mine. This means that Jesus won over death. Death did not conquer him. The resurrection of Jesus turns death itself into a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, but signifying nothing because death has been defeated. Do you see the significance of that? Not only did Jesus rise from the dead, defeating death, but he rose from the dead with the confidence that we too, if we trust in Jesus, will rise from the dead as well. Check out how personal it gets right now. verse 8, Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. If we died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with him. If if Jesus' death was my death, if I can say that when he died, he is as good as buried in the ground with that tombstone there, and that that was my death in my place, that he's faced it for me. And so we can say that his life will be our life. Why? Why? What's well, exactly what Jesus said would happen. Now, look with me from John 5. It's on the screen. I assure you, Jesus said, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. We'll look at chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to this woman, I am the resurrection and the life, the one who believes in me, even if he dies. Will live. This is not some unrelated fact. It's not some trivia about motorcycles that we kind of listen to and go, oh, that's nice. This is not some magic trick or fluke or some amazing feat performed by an exceptional person where we go, wow, that guy was great in history. He rose from the dead. That's pretty amazing that would happen. And then we can continue on. Jesus is saying, if you trust in me, this is your future. This is Your future. Thomas Watson, a a Puritan pastor from the 15th and 16th century, said this, We are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. We are more sure to arise out of our graves than out of our beds. Nowhere throughout Scripture does God give the promise that we will wake up tomorrow morning that reality of death is coming. But he here has rightly seen that the certainty of resurrection comes because Jesus has already risen. Because he's risen from the dead. He's died our death and he is now alive and will not die again. Death has been defeated so we can be more sure that we will rise again than we can be about getting out of bed tomorrow. And my hunch is that many of us have plans tomorrow. It's a day off sit back, relax, we've got ideas of what would go on and what we'd like to do. You can be more sure that you will rise out of your grave than you will rise out of your bed tomorrow. Now the facts are well worth checking out here. There is so much evidence that Jesus actually rose from the dead. As I said, I think there's more of that than there is that he, he didn't rise. But what I want to focus on today is not looking at all those facts that can st- they seem so ethereal and cerebral. I want us to think through for a moment, what if this is true? What if Jesus actually rose from the dead? What if he is who the Bible claims him to be? What if his resurrection secures our resurrection? What would that look like? Well, let me show you a few implications of these realities. If this is true, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, then the power of death is broken. The fear of death is completely severed. We don't have to worry about death anymore. We can be free. We can meet someone in the street that that, that is like a terrorist or an attacker. and, And sure, there's a fear of a temporary pain that we might be going through. But what can they do? We can hear the calls of Satan. Your life might be short. You won't achieve what you want. But we can say to him at that point, okay, you might take my life early, but then what? What are you going to do next? What power do you have over the resurrection that Jesus brings? The greatest foe for us is death. And in Christ, it has been defeated. If this is true, it means that we don't need to get to the top in order to... To, to achieve success. We need to keep striving to get all our, our life now to return the most because we know the most is beyond death's door. We don't have to seek right now to see myself have significance and, and comfort. We know that is to come and so it frees us to live a life where that isn't a necessity. If this life is it, then you've got to live and milk everything in life that you can right now. You've got to milk it all out of life. Jesus says there is so much more to come. Death is not the end. If this is true, then every loss we experience for the kingdom of God, everything that we sacrifice to see people come to know Jesus and grow in Him will return an incredible gain in eternity. Sure, we might give up a whole heap of things, career opportunities, opportunities to make profit, to buy a house, to do all sorts of different things now. We might not, but... But those things that we give up so that people might know the news of Jesus will return a hundredfold as we spend eternity with those that have heard the news of Jesus' death in our place and his resurrection. If this is true, it means there is no ultimate risk. In life, in love, in living for the kingdom of God, nothing can defeat us if Jesus has secured our life forever, if His death was in our place, then there is no ultimate risk. If this is true, then it means the decay of our bodies, that the sickness that we experience, the pain that we go through in life, the diseases that we have, the deformities that happen, all of those become merely a prologue to eternal glory. That first little bit That you get at the start before the rest we forget how short life is compared to forever and what is on offer because of the resurrection of jesus is life forever for you for you if this is true there'll be no more mourning or crying or pain or tears or shame or guilt, or struggle, or inferiority, or, or paralysis from all sorts of things that, that, that scare us, for all those things will be passed away. And we will be in right relationship with God and His people forever. If this is true, there is no more need for war. Uh, swords will be turned into plowshares and, and, and spears into pruning hooks. War will be finished. No more need for bombs, for fighting, for justice will be delivered finally. Every injustice will be rectified if this is true. Every evil will be addressed and every wrong made right. And those who are in Christ, those who've put their life in His hands, who trust in Him, will never die again. Will never die again. These are no mere facts, they are realities that affect the way you and I live. Today, tomorrow, what we value in life. If this is true, it changes everything. So Paul says, live this way. Live with the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. Let that transform the way you live. Let it have the incredibly personal significance that it has for you and me. Look at verse 11. So, you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. He says, consider yourselves dead to sin. Now, in one sense, he's meaning he to run from it. Don't live that way anymore. Don't keep putting yourself in the center when you've recognized that God is in the center of the universe and that his way is good and right and best. Run from it, yes. But dead to sin also means that that sin has no more power over us; that we're dead to its effects. It can't. It can't take me anymore because life is there and it is true. Consider yourselves dead to the power of sin and alive to God in Christ. Live transformed by this news that Jesus rose. Your life, and that that is the reality if you trust in Him. For you. If you do trust that Jesus died for you, if you trust that He is God, the Son, and you've put Him in that place where you say, You are my King, you are the one who is, who, who is the one I will follow. And Paul says, Live this way. Live the resurrection life. Not just intellectually. Go, Yeah, I believe Jesus rose from the dead. I think that's important. But let it transform everything in life. Let that change what you value and, and, and how you live. Put Jesus at the center and see that we have it all and death will not hold us down. Now, as I say that, it sounds great. It sounds like, yeah, that would be great, but it's just so hard to do. I don't know if you're sitting there feeling like this sounds great, but I consistently am afraid of death. I know these things to be true, but I find myself not living the way that I know it is true I think the reason that that's the case, the reason it's so hard is that we have not yet recognized that death has been defeated and we are not yet living that way. And let me give you an illustration from a a guy called Martin Lloyd-Jones. He was a preacher in the 60s and 70s in London. He's got a fantastic illustration to explain, I think, why it's so hard for us to live the resurrection life. He says this, imagine for a moment that, that you're in a country in which the people have enslaved themselves to another group of people for centuries. So there are two groups of people. One is enslaving the other group of people. Uh, whenever a member of the in, in, enslaved group of people, the oppressed group of people would meet one of the oppressing groups of people, they'd always give in to them. The member of the oppressing group had the, the power to do whatever they wanted from the king, from a horrible king. And that these oppressed people must always do what the other people said. And if the, if, if the oppressed people didn't obey, well, then they could have them beaten and killed. Imagine these oppressors had the right in this country, had the power and could do that. Then imagine a good king comes into power. And he decrees freedom for all. He sets up soldiers and police in every town. He puts his judges in place and he sets the oppressed free. No longer do they need to worry about these other oppressors. He's He's put this across them all. And Lloyd-Jones stops at this point and he says, do you think that would bring true freedom? Do you think that putting in those police and soldiers and judges and and, and, and taking out the power of the others to oppress would bring immediate freedom for these people? He says no. See, the reality is that whenever a member of the enslaved group of people, having been enslaved for all their life and having lived in a culture that was enslaved for centuries, whenever they'd meet someone from that oppressing group of people, even though that they were now free, they would still tremble and quake. Because they'd been under the power of this horrible oppression. They'd lived under its fear for so long. And so when they'd meet these people who no longer had power, but were from that oppressing group of people, they would, they would kind of cower. They would, they would do whatever they said, even though they didn't have to. Even though they could have spoken up and said, no, you can't do that anymore and stood on their rights, they still would not. Because of the effect of living under the oppression for so long. See, the the oppressed could have stood up. They could have fought. But they continued to act like slaves because although their status had really changed, they hadn't yet grasped it. They hadn't realized the freedom that had come. They hadn't begun to live according to it. And so they remained as slaves. Every Christian in this room is in that condition it's the only reason that we do anything wrong it's the only reason that we we struggle to change it's the only reason we are still all wrapped up and absorbed in fears and anger and discouragement and self-preservation because we think death still reigns we've been under its oppression for so long That we live and act in a way that does not bring the freedom that Christ brings. We've been living as though the resurrection of Jesus is merely a fact with no personal significance for us. But it is not merely a fact, is it? The reality of what happened to us if we trust in Jesus is that our death has been paid and our future is secure because of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And so Paul can say at the end of the letter to the Corinthians, he says these words, 1 Corinthians 15. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? It's like he's smiting death. He's saying, bring it on. You can't touch me now because Jesus has risen. This is amazing. I can now live with fear, without fear and in confidence and sharing this news of Jesus and not worrying about death because Jesus has risen. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where is death's victory? Where is death's sting? Friends, Christ has died. Christ has risen. And he promises that he will come back again to put things right forever. And that means the fact of this resurrection. That means that we can now walk in a new way of life, free from the oppression of death and the worry and fears and concerns that that brings, free from the effects of our rebellion against God because they've been forgiven in Jesus and He's died our death. We can live that life now, looking forward to what is to come, recognizing the reality of what has happened and we will live that life forever after Jesus comes back, that resurrection life for those You trust in the forgiveness of Jesus. It's my hope that tonight you can see that the facts of the resurrection are no mere facts, but they are the basis of a life-transforming, breathtaking, amazing view of the world that is true for you and for me. Have you seen the implications of this news? Jesus rose from the dead. Now, I can't make those implications hit home for you. But if you see what he has done and what it means for us, I plead with you today, will you look over what He's done? Will you meditate on the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and that death has been defeated? Will you wonder in it? Will you wonder in the life-changing, spine-tingling reality that death has been defeated? Will you allow that to change the way you live tomorrow and that that life forever has been offered to you, to you? Will you be amazed that the creator of the universe has died in your place and he has risen again and purchased your life forever? If your life is in the hands of Jesus, then nothing can take that away. Nothing. Not death, not adversity, not sickness, not pain. Life forever is yours. And the question for us is, do you trust this Jesus? Have you put your life in his hands to the point where you are happy to live where death is not the end because in that comes true freedom and in that comes life for you and for me forever let's pray father god we are so thankful tonight But the facts of the resurrection are not merely facts that happened to a guy once. But have an incredible significance for each of us in this room. We thank you so much that Jesus' death was in our place. And that we might stand forgiven before you because of Jesus dying in our place. We thank you so much that you raised Jesus to life, conquering death. And that now death has been defeated. And that we no longer have to fear. We pray, Lord, that you would help us to know that reality. That that would make our spines tingle from the top of our heads to the tip of our toes. That we might live recognizing the reality of the resurrection of Jesus for us. No longer as slaves to death and sin. But as alive to you. Might you transform our lives this night. So put Jesus as our king and to long to live for him forever. We pray this in your son's great name. Amen.